Hey everyone, and welcome to the Detoxicity Podcast. My name is Mike Joseph, and I host and produce this show that you're listening to. The goal of this podcast, or I should say the primary goal, a goal is to promote healthy masculinity through the sharing of life experiences. I hope that you and yours are safe and healthy, and I, of course, also hope that you're enjoying what you're hearing. Hopefully, you'll rate, comment, and subscribe via whichever platform you're using to listen. If you have any feedback, suggestions, or you would like to submit a guest or be a guest yourself, feel free to reach out to me on social media. I am on Instagram at DetoxPodGuy, and I'm also on Twitter at TizMikeJoseph. You can also email me at DetoxPod at gmail.com. I hope you enjoy this episode. Hey, everybody. This episode of the podcast features Kevin McCaffrey. Uh, Kevin is a comedian and writer based here in New York City. Uh, he made his network TV debut all the way at the top on The Late Show with David Letterman. Uh, he hosts a podcast called Sex in the City. It's uh, which is about sex in the city. Uh, you might have seen him on I Love the 2000s on VH1, uh, The List on WWE, um, and uh, he also does a podcast about the Chicago Cubs called Away Games. He is all over the place, and we talk about his uh, comedy and his writing careers. Uh, we also talk about growing up and being sort of the man of the house at a young age with two younger brothers. We talk about alcohol and his relationship with that. We talk about starting therapy and self-care. Um, we talk about being with the same person for half his life at this point and a bunch of other stuff. It's a really interesting conversation. Kevin's a good dude. I hope you enjoy. Hey, I'm Kevin McCaffrey. I'm a comedian, stand-up comedian, and a podcast host for the most part. Yeah, I mean, that's that's most of it. I say comedian now, although it's like it doesn't really exist in the moment. But I have been provably a comedian <laughs> in the past and hope to again in the future. Well, you can still do Zoom comedy, right? I can, and I do. And that's nice. And then it is weird because it's like it doesn't, it definitely doesn't feel <laughs> like a show in the same way. But then you break it down. It's not like a ton of money, but you break it down to like the dollars per minute and not having to travel. And it is in that sense, a better career. Fair. <laughs> it's, like, it's weird Fair. how like it makes, I mean, it's there's not as much of it. So it, it, it's, you know, but it is weird that like, it doesn't feel real, but it's, it's, you know, it's there. I feel like in the past year, anyone who's done enough Zoom shows to even get like 10 minutes worth of stuff to possibly say in front of real people again would be a huge victory. So, you know, maybe, maybe I'm creeping up to double digits in terms <laughs> of new minutes. We'll see. That, it, that's a, a funny concept. How difficult is it to do comedy under these circumstances when nothing new is happening, at least to you personally, people aren't going out in the world? Totally. Yeah, it's and that, that does tend to be the kind of comedian I am is more just like talking about things that did happen to me, like real things that happened to me personally, and talking my way through that. So yeah, it's and it's also a thing where with just pandemic stuff in general, it feels like when stuff comes back, it would seem insane to not address it, but also everything's hack already. Like every, you know, we've all had the same conversation. So it's like, it's it's hard to come up with any new ground that is pleasant for anybody. We have uh, gone through those jokes. Yes, we've gone through the jokes, <laughs> the comments, we've got it all. So so yeah, it is, it is weird. I think it, it just has been a real like, I was saying to someone the other day, another comedian, but it's like, it feels very much on a creative pause. And a year ago, I wasn't even sure I was getting better then, but now I know I have right. been. <laughs> yeah. What was your entree into comedy? Like, what, what was your impetus for saying, hey, I want to be a comedian? 
I didn't make the bulls was the first thing. <laughs> I've had two, I've had two career ideas. One play in the NBA. That did not work. Yeah, I mean uh, I've I've hung out with you, Kevin, and you're 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 not basketball player size. No, I'm like I'm six two, but it's not. I, I don't have the athleticism to make six two work in, uh, in an NBA way. In the West West Suburban Chicago high school uh, leagues, I, w- I was okay there. But yeah, so once that was done, I was just a kid who was a, a huge Letterman and Conan nerd. That's how I, I was, I'm like a, di- a diagnosed insomniac and like had a very difficult time sleeping as a kid. And so when I was weirdly young that's what i got into was like i mean i i remember wanting to stay up to watch dave after johnny so i would have been like seven like at i guess at that time and started watching and at that point with like late night shows you you're not understanding the monologue when they're making jokes about like leona helmsley it's like i don't know who that is but it's you know i just i was really into dave especially dave and conan forever so uh, once basketball stopped i started doing a radio show in high school that I got obsessed with and put a ton of time into. And then in college specifically chose a college that had a good TV program and where I could like do my own show right away. And yeah, and then I basically took over this show my freshman year as a host and then ran it. And that's how I met my wife and a lot of my good friends. And we all moved out to New York together after that. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Was... Were you like the class clown? Were you the family clown? Were you just sort of like a jovial, funny dude overall? I think I was, I think I had a brief stretch where I was like a very energetic, always on thing. And that was probably from maybe like fourth grade to seventh grade. And then I think I got exceedingly quiet. And then I think I just like, and then I think like in high school, people knew me to be funny, but definitely not an always on type. You know, it's like we've hung out before too. And I think like, you know, I I tend to be relatively like myself, even on stage. I'm just talking the whole time on stage. So yeah, I think I was like, it wasn't weird that I was funny. Like people definitely thought of me as a funny person, but I wouldn't say past the past like sixth grade or seventh grade, I, I wasn't full on clown, I don't think. Gotcha. I going back a second. Have you figured out the cure to your particular brand of insomnia, or is it still an issue for you? It's it's it comes and goes, but it's not. It's definitely not as bad as it was at its peak. Honestly, this sounds you know weirdly romantic, but my insomnia sort of went away when I started being with my wife. Now we've been together for eighteen years now, so you know. It's for almost nearly half my life. Half your life, right. Um, Yeah, right. So it's like, yeah, we met, you know, we met in, I guess, 2000 when I went to college, but we've been together since 02. And it's sort of like, it definitely lessened then. And then now, every now and again, I'll still get like, you know, a lie down and and awake from 11 p.m. to 5 a.m. situation. But it's, it's less, and I never really did figure out a cure. I do think it is, I definitely, it's for sure a part of why I started drinking like I did and why I do is because it definitely made going to sleep easier. But yeah, it def- it, it got better once I was with Jamie. So typical night when you're dealing with insomnia, it's 3 a.m., you're laying in bed or you've gotten out of bed and you've gone wherever, but 
you feel like the rest of the world, uh, pres presumably you feel like the rest of the world is asleep and you're there like, what do you do in that situation? Is that when you come up with material or is it? Is oh man, it... that'd be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm assuming the answer is no. Yeah, that no, but that's, I mean, there must be some people who do, right? Like there yeah, must I, be, I, do, do you find late, like late at night is a creative time for you in that way? No, I, I want to sleep. Yeah, and I, I know. Wasn't, I wasn't always like that. I mean, when I was a kid, it was weird because I would sleep maybe on weekends five hours a night. Like I would be up at two o'clock in the morning watching mm -hmm. Saturday Night Live or like Kung Fu or Soul Train reruns or whatever, totally. and then be back up at like six to listen to American Top Forty. So it, it it's it wasn't so much insomnia as I just had no use for sleep. Totally. Yeah. And I think that's and, and that I think there's a very there's there's a very optimistic thing about feeling like that as as like a kid or as anyone who's just like, I would rather be doing the things I'd rather be awake and not and not missing the things. And yeah, I think it was definitely much more like that as a kid. And I, I think there's part of me for sure that doesn't want the party to end person with a day like I sleep with the TV on and I think in the same way because like I think if I shut off the TV, I'm committing to the end of the day and I just can never do that, Wow. you know? So yeah, my wife got, I mean, my wife has like a sleeping superpower where she could, you could just like dare her to go to sleep and she will just fucking do it, you know? So like that's, so she doesn't mind, but God bless, she's been going to bed to sports center for 18 years of her life, you know, so. She's got to teach you, why can't she share that? Like, I know we, we, there's so many things like that, that I wish we could meet more in the middle on and just give, you know, trade qualities a little bit. <laughs> now you, you mentioned drinking. I, I mm -hmm. appears you have a drink in your hand at the moment, unless it's I some do. apple juice. It does. It looks, it's a, it's a pretty fun, colorful drink tonight. I ran out of whiskey yesterday. Dude. So I had, I had a small amount of cranberry juice left in the fridge. So this is a vodka crayon. This is okay. throwing back throwing back a little bit to like more of a co I, I feel like I drank that a lot in college but yeah what is I mean what does drinking do for you like is it just is it a social thing is it a I mean also your last name is McCaffrey so it without is. without making <laughs> sort of racist assumptions sure. here yeah I also like potatoes you know like it's like there's there's some of the things just track like yeah. you can 23 and me will tell you it's it's nearly a hundred percent. I have a small slice of Alsace-Lorrainian, which is a tiny part of France that it, we, is sometimes German, depending on who won the last war. But yeah, otherwise, completely Irish. And I think, like for sure, it the 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 making sleeping easier easier is part of it. The the making social things easier was definitely. I mean, when I started drinking in high school, it was very nice to just be like. Oh, talking's just happening now. You know how that sure. effect of drinking was was certainly nice for me, I think. And then and now I mean it's just like I'll definitely I'll take a week here and there where I just go where you know, I just won't have a drink, but yeah, I think it's just it's a very good I don't think I'm unique like this, but I I think my brain is is not very good at quieting down. And I think it is a way to sort of like tell it to shut up, which is not even necessarily a productive thing. Brains should talk sometimes, you know. Sometimes. Sometimes. But night yeah, but at nighttime, it's like sometimes they should, <laughs> they no, should wait I'm, till they're spoken to. I yeah. am right there with you. There are times if I am up late at night and I'm not 
hanging out with people or anything like that. It is because my brain is operating in overdrive and I can't get it to calm down. Yeah. So that is my, I guess, primary source of insomnia is in my own head. Absolutely. Because, I mean, it's it's inescapable. <laughs> it's like yeah, your, yeah, you your head's with you it. all the time. Yeah. Right. And it's... And that can be, and I find when you were asking before what happens in those those hours when everyone else is asleep and and you're not, like for me, the hours between like 4 a.m. and 7 a.m. just shouldn't exist on earth. Cause those are always like, if I'm up during those hours, it's just the bleakest, it's just the bleakest thoughts, you know? Right, yeah. I mean, I'm like, if I'm up at that time and I can't fall asleep, it's gonna be, I'm either gonna have a drink, I'm gonna smoke a joint, Mm-hmm. I'm gonna take a clonopin. Yeah. Or I'm gonna jack off. It's gonna be yeah. one of those four things. It's gonna uh, be a version of a drug. Yeah. Right, Any yes. of these is going to be there has to be a chemical change of some sort. Yeah. Cause that's yeah. the stuff that puts me to sleep. Yeah. Um, and I I don't know if I mean, I think I personally manage it pretty well. Like I'm definitely not like a no drugs, no drinking kind of person. Mm-hmm. I think everything is you know, everything is fine in moderation. Do right. You, do you think it gets to a point where it's like a little overkill or do you worry about that? I don't, I don't worry about it too much. I've definitely had stretches of my life where it was just like, where it was too much too frequently. And I mean, technically by, by the, the drinks per week. Yeah. It's like when doctors, you know, when you go get your physical. Yeah. And, how many and, drinks do you have per week? Yeah. It's more than like I, three. They're like, yeah. I was trying to do the math once when that happened and I was like 30 and like just <laughs> letting the Y hang. And he was just like, no, and I was like, I mean, I'm trying to be honest here. Cause there's, there's days with zero, but then like six is not, I mean, if we're counting a shot as a drink, I tend to be a liquor person and sure. like, Likewise. I just, du- yeah. And it's like, if I'm having a drink, it's a double and I'm, you know, I don't know, whatever, for whatever reason, my tolerance is very high. Like I'm not, I'm not a small person and I'm entirely Irish and I've been, and I've been putting the work in. So right. I guess I like, say, in the, yes, again, your last name is McCaffrey. Yes, exactly. So, so yeah, I've like, you know, I've every once in a while, I'll give it, give it a, a full dry week and stuff, but I'm not like, there's so many of the little, I, I've checked into the ch- check, you know, the checkpoints that would be a problem and looked at them. And it's like, mostly not that. It definitely feels like there's a mild compulsion to it where it gets to be a certain time of night. And I'm like, where is it? But I also don't, you know, I'm not like drinking by myself in the morning. I'm not like, it, and it doesn't get in the way of much. I have also, it's like, I hang out with so many comedians and when I have been like, I don't know, maybe I have to cut back a little bit. My comedian friends are always like, you're never a problem. My friend Sean Donnelly says I get madmen drunk, where he's like, you just you just seem like this is your state. You never seem like it's a problem. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, I black out less than I used to. So that's that's part of it. But yeah, like, so I think like, it's definitely a thing where in an ideal health world, I wouldn't do it as much, but I do sort of count it as some level of a sunk cost, you know? Yeah. I, being social, which is something that you have to do as an entertainer, did, like, were you, you weren't a shy kid, were you, was, because you you mentioned alcohol kind of bringing you out of yourself a little bit so you could talk to people. Like, was that an issue? Were you, were you like withdrawn or, or introverted? I, this is the thing where I think, 
I definitely think I'm more of an introvert than, and I feel like more of an introvert than a lot of people around me think I am, I think, you know, which makes sense. Cause like you said, I, I've been performing for a long time. I like, I host a bunch of things like, you know, like podcasts and serious, serious show. And like, and I tend to be socially kind of like an aggressive includer, I think is like, I tend to be very much like, like finding if someone in the room is not being talked to, I get very antsy about that. And like, I, and so then I want to find a way to get them in. So these things don't seem like introvert things, but I think partially why I'm like that is because I, I feel like that. Like the person who's not talking, I do feel like that. And yeah, so I think like, I think I definitely feel like more of an introvert than probably the result looks like on paper. Yeah, and drinking certainly, certainly in high school helped with that. So what does it feel like to stand in front of a crowd now and be like, hey, I'm Kevin and I'm going to make you laugh? <laughs> it's the thing, I think weirdly, I think comedy can be good for introverted people because it seems like a real extroverted thing but it's a one-way conversation so it's like you go up and it's it's very controlled and focused in the way where it's like there's a certain amount of time where I will be the talking one and then so there's no like worrying about okay is it okay to say this now it's all okay because you're saying it and it's your time so it's like you don't have that worry where am I saying the wrong thing or not whatever uh, and worrying about when when's okay to talk they've made it very clear they said your name they brought you up here right right so i think that i was talking to a couple comedians recently and we were talking about like if we ever like got nervous about performing and i really don't but i do get like i get antsy before i go on because i just want to be on i don't like waiting around for like the maybe when's it gonna happen when are you getting brought up i just want to be up you know yeah which feels like a patience thing more than an introversion slash extroversion thing. It probably, yeah, I think definitely. I'm a, I'm for sure. I do not have a ton. I don't have a ton of patience. I'm with you. you. Know, I think, yeah, I would like to, if we're doing a thing, I'd like to do the thing. Yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> I'm right there with you. It's yeah. interesting. I, so I've interviewed at this point for this podcast, a few comedians. I've interviewed Josh Gondelman. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've interviewed Joe Kozala. I've interviewed Blaze Mancias and it feels like the comedians that I've spoken to have all been pretty like non-alpha kind of guys. Like, yeah, you know, which is right. interesting because then you think of like the Dane Cooks of the world and maybe even like the Dave Chappelle's and, and you know, those guys who seem like super alpha. Right. And I think there's, and I think probably it feels like a higher percentage of comedians used to be that way, you know? And I don't know whether, what it is about like, society or media or what people want to see in general but it seems like in the last probably like since early 2000s maybe like we've seen more like you know Eugene Merman's like popping and stuff like that and like Mulaney is an alpha but it's not like what you would think of as like Dice Clay or Eddie Murphy or like you know the people from the 80s and, and even 90s that were more 
in your face and stuff. And also just going through the people you named, they're all very funny comics, the ones I know. But like, yeah, Josh, it's also it's also a selection of of less alpha where it's like Josh, Josh is sneaky alpha because his 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 brand is I'm the nicest man in comedy. He's not as nice as people think. He's very, he's very nice. But he but he like he's he can be very sharp too and he knows what he's doing and what he wants to get and oh, yeah. usually gets it. And then Joe, Joe's a originally a Chicago guy like myself too. Or I mean, maybe he's not originally Chicago, but he was at least comedy he's, originally. Right, he's from Pittsburgh, and then I think he made it to Chicago, and now is yeah in LA. Yes, yeah, that's where I knew him. And like, he's obviously a very like creative alt, you know, dude. But yeah, I do think it's less. It demand like in terms of the performance, it demands less alpha maybe than it used to, you know. And then as far as just like promoting and meeting the right people and stuff i'm sure being aggressively alpha really helps but I, i'm a horrific businessman so i can't <laughs> I, I just am very bad at that aspect of everything i mean do you consider yourself an alpha guy like are you probably kind of like i do i mean just in terms of my the way in my in my in my friend group i think i've tended to be like in college, I like literally showed up, was like, I want a show, where's the show? There was one show that wasn't even fully a comedy show, but it had a host. And I was like, all right, basically I'll take that one. Auditioned, won the hosting thing, and then took over the whole thing. And then that, you know, was our life for four years. And then I worked, I worked like maniacally on that and then brought a group out here to New York. And, and like, I... So I think like being the person who organizes the group or like sort of leads it. And it's a very like, my wife has said my personality type is just like, it's not, you know, it's, you can't really Meyer. She's like, I don't know what it is myers Briggsy, but it's just host kind of, okay. you know? So, so uh, I think a little bit, I, th I think it would be fair to say it's still, it's a little bit alpha, you know? That's fair. And I, going back to what you were telling me when we were, kind of prepping for this about your family situation i mean it does seem like you are kind of a pack leader type that's of true person. right i yeah i was the oldest of three boys of a single mom and you know so i definitely was like my youngest brother patrick who's now an er doctor in chicago he yeah he's he's having a hell of a year I <laughs> yeah and he's but he <clears throat> was like one when my parents divorced and so I, you know, we're brothers, but also there was a lot of like me being the dad there. Sure. And I, like, while I was playing sports in high school, I think I was, I was probably the youngest assistant little league coach in town by 15 years or so. Like <laughs> I was literally like a 14 year old coaching little league teams, which was weird. And yeah, so I think that's very, there's definitely a lot of like oldest just like probably oldest birth order stuff going on with me. And then also like single mom, you know, eight-year-old man of the house shit, you know? Right. So, yeah. What the hell was that like to, to be thrust into that role at such a young age? Were you even like aware of it? I mean, kind of, but it's like, there's so many things when you're a kid where, it, you know, you, you look at it in hindsight and it seems weird, right? But when you're a kid, it's just the only reality you know. So yeah, I think... I remember be, being like having sort of a Wizard of Oz moment. So my, I was born in Chicago, but my uh, like my dad is from Long Island, and we lived on Long Island from the time I was like three to eight. 
parents got divorced, moved, moved back to Chicagoland. And like, as my memory switches into color when I moved to Illinois. So it's just like it all, even though it was like, you know, it's disruptive, obviously, to be on a on a Friday, you're at a Catholic school in Long Island, and Monday, it's a public school in Hinsdale, Illinois. Right. That's jarring. But also, I was immediately like, oh, I thought I was weird. No, Long Island's fucked up. <laughs> like, you know, I was like, immediately, I was like, oh, no, 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 I was right. This is fine, you know? So I think that, and that was just like, as soon as we moved, it just seemed like a life that, like, fit better. So, yeah. And so I think for me, it wasn't that weird. It, we were the one of among the poorest families in like a very wealthy neighborhood. My mom's a special ed teacher. And like, it's where I grew up was very, very wealthy. Like she moved us there because it was an extremely good like public high school. But yeah, we moved like four times in eight years because you, you know, you have to house hop because they keep tearing them down behind you. It's like a Super Mario game. You know, where it's, <laughs> oh, just, it's like, you know, we're, we're building a mansion here, get out, you know, over and over. So like, yeah, I think there was a little bit of weirdness to that element too but you know but when you're a kid it's just like oh yeah whatever whatever happens next is just i guess how the world works you know you don't know anything's weird at, at what point did you realize that it was weird i don't know i mean i sort of still feel i still don't feel that weird about about it cuz it's like you know i mean obviously there's like being raised by a single parent such a common thing it, but i think like I think I was a little bit aware of the time that I was doing more than most siblings did, you know? And I'm definitely aware of it now, but yeah. I, don't, I Honestly, one way I think I've realized it is just like considering whether to have a child in your life. And I think I've been hesitant about that because I know how much it takes to be a good parent. And damn, dude, it seems like a lot, <laughs> you know? It was a lot when I was kind yeah. of helping do it. And, uh, and my mom can do it, but she's like, a she's a monster in a good way. She's just like a maniac. Right. She is, uh, uh, yeah. Whoop, Kaji froze. Oop, sorry. Oh, there I you froze, go. You're back. for a second. Hey. Okay. Yeah. That's, I relate to that because I was put in a situation where I had to be a caretaker at a pretty young age. And I'm definitely at a point now, I mean, I'm old, but it's just like, yeah, kids are not part of the menu because I've. I mean, A, I think I'm kind of focused on my own personal growth and a kid kind of... They ask a lot, yeah. <laughs> you know? And they should, you right. know, because they're a thing too. But it's like, yeah, it's just it's just not for everybody. Yeah, no shade on having kids. Like, if that's what you no. want to do, that's what you want to do. That's great. But I, I do think it's important for people to realize whether parenthood is part of the menu or not, and not just do it because they feel like it's something that they have to do. Totally. And I think that's an, uh, a thing that among people I know in New York, it seems like pretty much, pretty much everyone I know who's had a kid, like, I, I feel like, hey, they good call. They did it right. right. And then everyone I know who hasn't had a kid, ditto. Every, like everyone who hasn't had a kid also got it right. Everybody's you know? making the right decisions. Yeah, everyone part. seems to be killing it. Yeah. Whereas like I know more people I know from like college or high school who've had kids, I think did it uh, from the Midwest, did it more like it's time for this, you know? And that's right. not that's not strictly a Midwestern thing, but it's just the people I know. Maybe there's been a little more of that. When you were caretaking for you, was it was it parents, siblings? What was it? Uh... Was so I was raised primarily by my grandparents, mm -hmm. by my maternal grandparents, and my grandmother ran a daycare center, 
And she was also also a foster parent and an adoptive parent. Oh my God. She can't get enough. Yeah, she was I mean <laughs> Yeah. My grandmother was like her mission in life was to be a caretaker for children. That's my yeah, that's my mom basically. Yeah. So I think if she'd if her life had gone differently, she could very well have been a teacher. Mm -hmm. But she just always needed to have like her her instinct was always to take care of folks. And yeah. my instinct is to take care of folks, but they're all grown. Right. <laughs> yeah, so, but it still counts. People still yeah. need people still need it. You know yeah. what I mean? And I think that's so I think maybe you're similar to how my sort of thing is rolled out a little bit where it's like I feel like I'm a lot of people's best man. I'm a multi-time godfather, but that's like sort of that's where I'm coming. I'm I'm like the first phone call for kind of a lot of people. Right. But I don't but it's like kids seems less than likely i think you know yeah and i love i have my closest friends have kids i call them my nephews and they're all adorable they're all fun but after a couple of hours i'm like yeah you can have your child back that's cool yeah. you know right we got everyone's got a different set of skills you right. know it's like yeah. and i it's the you know reverse liam neeson i do not have that particular set of <laughs> skills for this for this thing you know we i can have a great time can very much funkle it you know but right. yeah I like that. The Liam yeah. Neeson thing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I, being sort of a, a big brother slash parental figure, like, I, I, and I know the answer to this. You're close with your brothers now still, right? Yeah, definitely. I mean, how, how does that shape the relationship? Are they, do they still look at you as like, hey, Kevin, I need your help. I need your advice. Like, yeah, I think they're they're both it's they've both turned out very well. So it's like they I do think I'm for both of them one of like I think I'm sort of the point of that triangle, I guess. Like they definitely, you know, they get along too, but I'm I'm the first one for them each for both of them to come to, I guess, with stuff or to talk about how their life's going if you know if they're if they're getting real about you know something difficult but yeah and and also like also in a fun way you know it's like i, I feel very lucky to have brothers who i actively like text frequently and you know like dm twitter things too that they'll enjoy like they're actually good friends now which is the kind of stuff that you know your parents tell you as a child you will be when you're fighting and it's like not everybody is I yeah it doesn't always work out that <laughs> no way. we know a lot of siblings who like don't text you know and yeah so i think it's nice that they're they're both like good people you know that that i like and are both like funny and yeah it's a very i feel very lucky with how, how that's how that's turned out i guess good yeah i i you know i've seen photos of of you guys like hanging out together and stuff and i'm like you know it, it feels like a three musketeers three amigos kind of thing yeah, we I think there's definitely like they're both in Chicago still, which is fantastic for me. Like it's nice to have efficiency of visits, you know, yes. in that way. And my mom's there as well. So it's nice to be able to go back and sort of hit everybody. But like, yeah, when like when the Cubs were in the World Series, like I canceled all my shows, which was like that was Bill Murray always had in his contract. If the Cubs were in the World Series, he could like leave filming and go <laughs> back. And like I had the same deal, just no one gave a shit. <laughs> it's like I just canceled a Caroline's weekend and it would have been nice, I'm sure. But, <clears throat> you know, so went back and was like, I have to be around Joe and Pat for this like I have to 
you know, sorry. I think I was opening for Tom Segura that weekend at Caroline's, who's great, super funny, nice guy, and a really good comic. And I remember because we were supposed to do a different weekend there together, and he messaged and he messaged me. He's like, "Could you do it if we moved it to late October?" And I was like, "Yeah, unless the Cubs are in the World Series, then I I, I got to bounce." And he was like, "Lo and behold, yeah." He was like, ah, <laughs> "Ha ha ha! I'll take my chances." And then in like game five of the NLCS, he texted me. He's like, "Do I got to get someone else?" I'm like, "You do. I'm not." <laughs> I'm not, I'm not coming. So there's, and there's uh, been other times too, where it's like, we, I think all three of us make it a point to be like, no excuses come together. And that's very nice. Like my brother, Joe had a baby. He was the first one of us to have a baby. And she, she's like, what, what is it? it it's January. She's it seven is- months old. But Pat and I like took him to Arizona for spring training for his last like pre-baby hangout too. And, you know, Pat made sure to get the time off from the hospital and it was considerably easier for me to get the time off. But, you know, I think, yeah, we're very, very lucky to to still be keeping in touch that way, you know. So who do you, who does Kevin go to if he needs like big brother advice? It's a it's a really good question, and it's like I and yeah, and I think that's like that's been a good like open ended question, just like in my life, because my my dad's fine, <laughs> you know, I love him, but like he's not. It's not like a typical father son relationship, you know. Like he he's always lived in New York, and we didn't live together after the age of eight you know, after I was eight. So my dad's cool, but it's just not like that. You know, like I sort of had that relationship with my mom's dad, my grandfather, but he passed away in 2002. So yeah, I think like, you know, I have like probably, I would say my college, my tight group of college friends, there's like five of us who moved out here together, my wife being one of them. But two of the two dudes in that group, a guy named John Daly, a guy named Shane, are people who maybe are kind of like that but yeah I just don't I don't think I really have I don't have an like an older brother you know in my in my life or or like a dad type maybe something that you that you think you need is that a box you think you need to check or would be good to check I really don't you know because I feel like that's kind of a thing where it's like you can't manufacture it right like you can't just you can't like bestow upon someone like you are the daddy now (laughs) so it's even though it sounds fun to say but yeah I so I don't think I don't feel like I miss it you know what I mean like there's been there's been people who like were sort of mentory at different points in my life to like friends who you know at different like jobs or you know comedians or whatever but but yeah I think I've just I think that's just kind of a thing I don't have as much, you know. That's a, another interesting segue because did you have a, a comedy Sherpa? Like, did you have someone who was like, I will show you the ways of the world of comedy and, <laughs> you know, this is what you need to do? Right. Not I, like, I think it's sort of a, it was a real takes a village situation where I, cause I, it was like the group of dudes I started doing open mics with just, I would say like in general across the board you know i i think in like all sort of you know i hopefully with a better ending lord of the flies situation where it's just a bunch of people not knowing what's happening and then trying to like tell each other when they learn things you know so there's uh yeah like sean donnelly who i mentioned before like you know donnelly saint germain mark normand are all like people who were in that original 
group of open micers like went from open mics to like doing shows and then doing shows professionally together so yeah probably more of like a group thing there and then at at letterman like i interned at letterman was my first was my last college credit so that's what brought 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 us out here and i was the writer's intern there and a writer named steve young over there is great he was actually in the great movie bathtubs over broadway that yeah yeah it like it killed it at a bunch of festivals and stuff it's about like industrial musicals and where they used to have like they used to have like professional broadway casts like do a show for chevy like just like corporate st- weird corporate music Wow, I had no idea that even existed. Oh, it's great. I think you'd dig it. I think it's like, and anyway, Steve is like, he's this incredible comedy writer. And he was, I think he was the president of the Harvard Lampoon right before Conan was. And then he wrote for Letterman and The Simpsons and all this stuff. And Steve just collects that kind of music. So he's like, he's, I guess, the star of this documentary. It's like him hunting down all this stuff. But Steve was the monologue coordinator at Letterman. And so he's a guy who like, liked me as an intern and saw that like I was an intern who got top tens on the show which had never happened oh wow there and sort of happened accidentally at first and then they had me keep doing it and he was like very cool to me at every turn and we were like we still you know we hang out or when you can hang out we've hung out in over the past couple of years too and he's great but like he's a guy who's a comedian who's helped me or a comedy writer who's certainly like helped me at different stages you know just like by hiring me to, you know, write monologue at Letterman and stuff too. Sure. So, sure. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like mentorship is important. You know, everybody should have somebody that kind of like has their back. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, like you breaking into the music world, that seems to be a, a sort of like comedy in a way where it's like, it seems not to have a terrifically linear way to tell you, right? It's like, there's no like, there do this a, and then you're here. No, absolutely not. Yeah. It's, it's just kind of, you know, some of it is who you know. Of course, yeah. And I've gotten, I mean, I've had, I've been fortunate to have four jobs in my life, and the last three were recommended by someone at a previous job. Oh, that's great. But yeah, there's no, it, there's no guarantee that, hey, you graduate from college, you get this, in, or, you know, you have this internship while you're at college at this label or this marketing company or tour management or whatever, and then you blah, blah, blah. Like, right. it's pretty random. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's and it seems I feel like in those kinds of careers, it's 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 even nicer to have someone who is a mentor who can yeah. just be like, just tell me what to do. I'll do it. You right. know, just right. like, yeah. And I've been fortunate to have had a mentor and have had a black mentor, you know, that, you know, in, in the last 20 years or whatever has been invaluable just to sort of be able to see what the you know, what the drawbacks are and to kind of see almost ahead of the game uh, what to look out for. So yeah, totally. I, mean, I, I truly believe mentorship is important. Yeah. Um, yeah. And especially someone who's lived any, something of a similar experience to what you might live too, yeah. is like on top of that is a, is a very nice plus, you know? Yeah. So I'm curious about having been in a relationship with the same person for half your life. Yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, man. It's like, it's weird because it's, you know, when when you meet someone who you who you will marry, you know, met her when I was eighteen, but then started started going together at twenty. Going together, that's so that's Very such a, a nice phrase. Yeah, you don't. As I say, then it's like I didn't know I was closing up shop. 
like at first, you know, I didn't know, the, you know, when we drank too much tequila and messed around on a couch at my college house, like I didn't know that was it, you know, but yeah, we, I mean, we were together. It's because I, I never, I sort of never thought I, I didn't foresee myself as someone when I was even younger than that, like someone who would be in a long-term stable relationship young like that I and mean, I think that's partially because I was really like at the time very like career driven in my head or whatever and like oh yeah I'm gonna have to do all this selfish shit because it's like comedy and you know like performing and all, all these things so there's only two kinds of people I thought I could be with it's like someone a someone who like totally gets it respects it believes in what I'm doing without putting any sort of negative pressure on it even when nothing's happening because nothing happens a lot or someone who just does that you know and it turns sure. out she does that like she's a comedy writer and an, and a, a, a performer as well and she's brilliant and she works for Howard Stern now and like yeah she's I think it was just like we both you know I think we were both kind of surprised to to find each other in that way and then we like lived with, and we lived with this pack of roommates for a very long time I proposed on like our nine-year anniversary she she never mentioned marriage once like before <laughs> like it, over those nine years and yeah and like we you know we got married and we still lived with roommates for a couple years and now we've been on our own for three I guess maybe three or four right on and everything's good like you feel you feel like you're complete's not the word. Yeah, I mean, you always want to be complete, right? And it's like, I think one thing you find is that, that uh, certainly I, I found it just in not just relationship, but like every part of life, I feel like I got to a point, maybe like early 30s, where I was like, I think I'm good. I feel steady and things are good with everybody and it's going to be okay. And then like, I don't know, 36-ish, I was like, Never mind, <laughs> like you know, but it's no, we're actually never done. It's never, it's never just okay, and hopefully that means it's more, it's more okay because it's never just okay for every, for you know, everybody. Right. But yeah, I think it's just like, yeah, it. I, I think you just like you can. I, I certainly surprised myself being like, you know, how not okay I could feel, sure. you know, and how, and I think we, we we've just both been with each other for for so long like I think we both trust each other more than anyone on earth and like we are truly it's like super corny but like she I have no doubt that she like fully believes in me like more than anyone on earth I, it's hard to count my mom because my mom's like delusional like with her positivity <laughs> but like you know and like and vice versa like she's the most talented person I know and like the best person i know but yeah man i mean it's like it's certainly it it's it, it's certainly like i think you can go like it, you both go through individual changes with yourself i think is is something that we found more than more than like not changing how we feel about each other but just right. you know we've had our own times you know sure i mean it's yeah. good to find people that you're able to grow with that you're able to grow separately with I that I don't know if that makes sense. Oh, absolutely but, it yeah. does. No, I think that's I think that's a very good way to put it. And especially in my case where it's like cuz we worked on all the same shows all the time. So that's got to be, you know. 
as there's never been any like competitive instinct type there's, stuff there's truly zero of that so we're very lucky that way like because she is a much better performer than she thinks and unfortunately for her she keeps getting that feedback and people keep wanting her to perform and, and she's like no you know but she has like i've never met anyone in comedy or really anything creative that who has less ego than jamie does like if what she did gets a laugh she does not need anyone to know that she had a hand in it. That ain't me. <laughs> like I, I want people. I want people to know this was you know, me. Yeah, well, I want. Well, yeah, I'll, I'll I drop did it this into, shit exactly. <laughs> so yeah, no, I think like we're we have zero competitive. The I think the the difficulty there is like when you both work in a field that's like exquisitely unstable. Like neither of you, you can't really like. It's hard to plan a logistical financial future or like any kind of future together when you both might be unemployed all the time in that way and when neither one of you comes from generational wealth it's like right. you know which seems like a great deal for people to do that but <laughs> yeah that's cool so i you appear to be a very like well-adjusted human being kevin thank you so do you and i <laughs> I know, I know, but that's the thing. I think I do appear that way, and that is, an, uh, and not not to say I'm not, but yeah, I think I'm. I think I'm particularly good at appearing that way. You know, what is your self care regimen? Great cue. I, I mean, I, a limited number of drinks every day. I were I started several years ago. Several years ago, I started working out quite a bit, so I do that first thing every day. So I remember like the first time I met you and then I bumped into you after that on like the subway, maybe a year later. And I was like, he looked different. <laughs> yes. I look, I, I, I dropped like probably 30 pounds pretty quick, you know, cause I grew up an athlete and then I just <laughs> never did anything. And then like, so I like gained 30 pounds through most of like most of the 2000s. And then, and then I was just like, I think I got to a point, this is definitely a mental thing where comedy wise is like, I know I'm getting better, but then there was like a year where a lot less happened than the previous couple of years. So it's sure. like the linear thing we were talking about before there, my level of effort and quality in comedy was not necessarily commensurate with what I was getting back. So if you work out like a maniac, you see things. And mm -hmm. so I think that was very nice for me to be like, okay, I'm seeing me do something and something happen yeah. uh, because of that. There's so, results. Totally. So I think that was like, so that's for sure a big part of it for me is like trying to trying to stay in shape and like do so, you know, try to progress in that way. Yeah. And then I like for the first, I started going to a therapist a year ago. So for, and that was the first time I ever did that. What was um, the, what was the defining event that made you decide that like, Hey, I need to do this. I just sort of went like last November, December, I was just like extremely low and it felt, I, I just felt very lost for whatever reasons, but, but more so than I had, you know, and it was like, and it wasn't, and it wasn't getting better. And, and so it's like, I felt like I had tried a number of things, but I was like, 
I should also try this thing. And I think I've been someone who, <laughs> my mom uh, would say oppositional defiant, where if someone tells me a thing, I like to not do that. And like, what the fuck do you know? You know, so I try like, so I thought like, I'm not a good candidate for, for therapy in that sense. But I think I found a decent dude. So it's like, you know, I think that's, I think that has been good to just have like sort of a weekly marker to not drift further away from shore, you know, and not notice it, you know, you don't want to drift a little bit every day and then be like, God, I'm right. You know, I'm right. like Guam now or whatever, right. you know? Right. Right. So, yeah. But I think that off the top of my head, that's it. And I just, this isn't good self-care, but I just feel better when things are happening for me, <laughs> you know? So like trying we to work hard and make things happen, you know? Yeah. I mean, yeah. In, in, in this environment, well, you've got the, so one thing I wanted to ask you about was sex in the city. It's, Oh yeah. Because A, Sex in the City is generally not a male identified show. Yeah, I would I would say that. People <laughs> <laughs> yes, people are all the ads are in pink. Yeah, my friend John and I, we thought it would be we had a lot of time and we like talking and neither one of us had seen the show. So we decided to do a podcast about a Sex in the City, like two married dudes watching Sex and City for the first time 20 years later. And at first it was a little bit of the irony thing of like dudes watching this, like what do we need in, at the time it was January, 2019 when we started it, like what do we need now in America? Mansplaining a ladies show uh, is, is definitely what we need. But, you know, you know, as uh, in wrestling terminology, they say worked yourself into a shoot. Do you what do you do you know wrestling? I used at all? to be a, I used to be a wrestling guy. I'm not anymore. It's been about 20 years. Yeah, that's yeah. It was 20 years for me. And then I jumped back in. But <laughs> like work means fake in wrestling and shoot means real. Like if you're really fighting, that's for a shoot. Right. And so we worked ourselves into a shoot where it's like we came in with a little bit of irony but i mean several episodes in we're like yelling at each other about whether miranda sucks or not and it's like no she's good she's actually the good one you know and how are you feeling about the 2021 reboot without miranda? well without our our queen samantha uh, oh samantha I, sorry yeah see all right like this is the deal i've watched <laughs> yeah. sex in the city like two or three times in my life mm -hmm. and i feel like as someone who has sucked a variety of dicks i should have <laughs> watched much more sex in the sea but that's just not my jam so yeah, but to have a very heterosexual guy like on this screen with me <laughs> who has watched significantly more sex in the city than all I of have. it yeah. yeah oh you've watched all of it we just completed it our oh, the, shit. the, 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 right. the series finale well i mean we're still doing the podcast and the timing works out nice with the new one uh coming out now but yeah i mean like i i don't i mean <laughs> i don't it it I don't know that I would have kept watching it if we weren't doing a podcast <laughs> about it. it. For sure. But three seasons, once we got like three seasons in, I think I would have. <laughs> so I think, I think you're not wrong in being like, this isn't my shit. And it, it's a lot of it is also not mine, but, but we do, but I will say I, I unironically enjoy watching it and, and I'm unironically excited for the new series. Gotcha. Yeah. So to close out, what else is on your docket right now? What are you doing currently? What's going on in the future that you know of? 
Right. Yeah. So currently hosting a weekly show on Sirius XM with Sean Donnelly called Celebrate on the most horrifically named radio station on earth, Raw Dog 99. Uh, it's just an insane, It. I don't know when they named it. It feels very, it feels like it had to be named before Sirius was a thing, but so it's such an Opie and Anthony name. But so I host that with Sean. We talk to uh, comedians mostly every Wednesday at four on Sirius and then yeah hosting the Sex and the City it's podcast and you've you know you find that anywhere at Sex and the City it's on Instagram and we're we've started a, a little movie club where people who are Patreon subscribers can just request that we watch and do a podcast on anything so we've started doing that wow yeah man and then you know hoping stand-up get gets back at some point yeah right right now like a lot of people just wanting Wanting to fast forward another week or two. I don't know when this airs, but like, you know, just hoping the world's fine. But as <laughs> as Kevin and I are talking, it is a yeah. week before the presidential inauguration. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, yes, I'm 100% with you on that. Like yeah. I was, you know, I follow tons of, of, of politicians on Instagram and Pete Buttigieg is like, one more week. And I'm like, can you confirm to me that we will all still be here in a week? <laughs> yeah, one more week of what? Yeah. Of, of us, right. <laughs> or of of that? Right. Like it's because it's a big it's a big difference. Yeah. But yeah, man, you know it's like <clears throat> just uh, just trying to write stuff and post <laughs> posting old videos online now. That you know, it's like we have a lot of stuff filmed. Oh shit! Um, I didn't even ask about fucking Mike Pence. Oh yeah, so yeah, we'll close out with that for yes. a minute. My 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 cousin is Mike Pence. I talk about it on stage. I've been doing that for four years. It's not a new bit. It was on my album two and a half years ago, which not to brag, but just how much it was out there. It was the serious album of the month. It was the number one album in America in comedy for a little bit. And it's on that. And it it's that bit plays all the time, but it blew up in the past week. And it was like Buzzfeed's number one trend and got like several million views on, on TikTok. And he's, you know, I think most of my family is on board with me in the situation, you know. And the ones who aren't, I think you can tell by their silence. And I'm sure it made some of them uncomfortable, but like. So be it. I could not give less of a shit. You know what I mean? It's just like, it's, I, I, my whole thing is just talking about real things that happen. That's all I do. And the, the difference between me and Mike is I actually believe everything I say. And so I feel fine about it. I, my, my mom trying to be really nice about him was like, well, he loves his family. And I was like, yeah, I would vote for him to go the fuck to his family (laughs) and spend the rest of time there. That's how I'll, you know. So, yeah, so weird week on that. (laughs) So obviously this conversation's a couple of months old, but still, can you imagine having Mike Pence as a member of your family and going to a family reunion and seeing his face? How could you avoid punching it? I I just don't understand. Anyway, kudos to Kevin McCaffrey for taking the time to appear on this show. If you would like to know more about him, you can find him online. His website is kevinmccaffrey.com. He is also on just about every social media platform you can think of. You can find him on Twitter at Kevin McCaff. Uh, That is McCaff, M-C-C-A-F-F with uh, Kevin in front, obviously. And you can find him on Instagram, and his Instagram is, I think, also Kevin McCaff. Yes, K-E-V-I-N-M-C-C-A-F-F. But once again, thank you to Kevin, and uh, go listen to his podcast as well. 
Sex and the City, it's uh, Away Games. He uh, co-hosts the show also on SiriusXM at 4 p.m. every Wednesday, so make sure you check that out. Thanks so much for listening to the Detoxicity Podcast. I really appreciate it. Feel free to rate, comment, or subscribe, and subscribe, and or whichever. If you have any feedback about Detoxicity, or you'd like to recommend a future guest, or you would like to be on an episode yourself, please reach out to me on Instagram at DetoxPodGuy. I'm also on Twitter at TizMikeJoseph, and I can be reached via email, DetoxPod at gmail.com. Big thanks, as always, to Calvin Williams, who composed the music that you hear at the beginning and ending of the podcast, to Jacob Block for the Detoxicity logo, and to Andrew Grossman and Jeff Giles for inspiring the theme of this podcast. Take care, everybody.